Trigger warning. In this episode, the films we discuss involve the topics of suicide and addiction. We understand these topics are serious and try to treat them with proper care. Welcome to Source Not Found, a show about the worst versions of your favorite things. Every other week, we explore an IP, franchise, or fandom by way of its sequels, spinoffs, and side projects. Basically anything but the source material. I'm Brandon June, the Wizard Master. In the name of Lorek, Prince of Elves, Demon Be Gone. And I'm Bo Woodall, and I am the backflips that Patricia Arquette can do. Oh, those are good. <laughs> yeah. She's our acrobat. She is our acrobat. Javelin. I, man, I looked for it. I really did. Also, no, mm-hmm. no dream warrior ninja. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, <laughs> this episode, we're talking about the two homework movies that Brandon assigned both me and our viewers, listeners, listeners. Um, I mean, you can you can watch you can look at the thumbnail as you listen. Sure. Yeah. It's a great thumbnail. Um, we did Jason six. Jason lives from 1986. and. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors from 87. Those were the two that you said were most exemplary of, like, the series, right? Yeah, and in fact, I think with Friday the 13th, I'm not particularly a fan. Um, maybe just not only the best one to, to visit, but maybe the only one. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <visiting. laughs> Definitely, I think those are the high points. Aside from the original movies in both franchise, I think those are your best points for jumping in to either one really okay so you think that the the first movies are are better because i went into this with no research on any of the movies before or after i just stuck with the two you gave me because i wanted to be a uh obedient obedient boy you did great thanks Uh, yeah i think friday the 13th um the first one is a very different kind of movie it's going for something much different uh this i mean as you now know Friday the Thirteenth Part Six: Jason Lives is uh is getting getting silly with it, um in a much different way. It's a very different kind of movie. I think it's the most fun movie. It's my personal pick. And then for Dream Warriors, I think the original Nightmare on Elm Street is the best movie. But I have a lot of nostalgia for this one, and it was my favorite growing up. So, kind of is a personal favorite. But the first one is definitely, I think, the best movie. Interesting. It's brilliant. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So the way we're gonna do this whole rundown is I'm going to try to give a synopsis of... Let's do it. Friday the 13th, I can't part wait. six, Jason Lives. And then we're yeah. going to kind of break in... How did we get here? How did we get here? Um, then we're, How did I get here? Then we're going to break in a little bit about the movies themselves, maybe some stuff that we learned about them, and we're going to end the episode both giving a point to Jason or Freddy, based on which one we think deserved that point based on the films, and we're going to tell you if we think that these franchises are worth sourcing we also have our viewer listener uh points that we've tallied as well so yeah we do weighed in and we've got you here and we're gonna see who is who is surging ahead all right so we're gonna we're gonna dive right in to this cinematic experience uh it's the only way to do it because the movie dives right in yeah it really it does gets right to it okay so jason six jason lives or friday the 13th part six jason lives uh, yeah don't sell it short full title released august 1st 1986 <laughs> Just real fast, uh, I want to give you the top five films the weekend that it was released. Top five box office Let's films. Aliens, one of my mm-hmm. favorite 
action horror films ever. Aliens was number one. This was number two. Top Gun, number three. Karate Kid, part two. And The Fly. Also on that list for like the box office for that weekend, uh, Flight of the Navigator at number nine, Howard the Duck at number 10, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off at 13. Like, Howard the Duck beat Ferris Bueller. Yeah, well, Ferris Bueller was released by, like back in April or something like that. So, uh, yeah, I, okay. But even sure. then. That, right. Uh, even but like <laughs> the top five being Aliens, this Top Gun, Karate Kid Part 2, and The Fly, that's crazy like it was a great time to just be into just the horror sci-fi side of life i mean you know you're this weekend right it's you had your fill yeah it comes out in august so you're hitting that kind of end of summer getting into autumn sort of thing so i guess they start dropping horror movies like crazy but they also just Mm -hmm. releasing top gun a couple weeks before that and the fly and karate kid part two that that's a pretty good lineup so what are you going to see aliens no question yeah game over man game over (laughs) for me it's the fly the fly is fantastic i am a huge fan of that movie i just like cronenberg in general but that movie and i'm I'm a more i'm a fan of alien versus aliens i'm one of those oh yeah but uh yeah i mean great movie but it's movie date night and i'm taking my date to the fly and then uh never seeing her again yeah and then that's how and then you (laughs) beg her to kill you at the end of it i guess um yeah Okay, so jumping into the synopsis for Jason 6. My understanding, yeah, Tommy and his friend, who I, I don't remember his name, but you don't have to. Hawes. You don't, you don't remember? We all love, we love Hawes, don't we? His name is Hawes? I think so. Huh. Anyway. I had to look it up because I, I wanted to reference characters and like, they're so, they're a lot of whole, just big old nothings. Yeah, that's so why I don't, like, I just have a couple of names. I'm, I think his name is Hawes. But. Tommy and Hawes are going, I guess they broke out of a mental institution. Is that go on? Yeah, they seem to have broken out of a mental institution. Tommy wants to see Jason's body, wants to make sure that Jason is dead. So they're going to Jason's grave to dig up his corpse and then to burn it. Mm -hmm. They get there. There's a whole lot of kind of like sliding around and Hawes being like the whole, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know, this is, I should just be back in a straitjacket, so on and so forth. They dig real fast, though, uh, and get down to Jason, rip off the, the coffin lid, and there's, there's your boy, just a kind of shriveledy hunk of flesh. Barely a skeleton, if, if that. Just nice and maggoty. Nice and, ma- man, maggots are everywhere. Uh, oh, yeah. They are going to burn him, and he gets struck by lightning. Yeah, because Tommy goes a little buck wild with uh, what is he holding again? Some iron rod, just like smashing. For the some hell reason, the... why does he have that fucking rod? Like, there's no, like, <laughs> you have two shovels. You don't. Maybe it was a crowbar, but even then, it doesn't make sense because it's straight and it stabs into Jason. Anyway, um, yeah, jams into him. Basically, creates like a lightning rod. rod. Yeah, yeah. Lightning strikes Jason. Jason comes to life. Gets out there. Uh, murders her boy Hawes real quick, and then that's the beginning of the movie. Like, well, let's let's pause there. What do you what do you think is the connection? Um, so it seemed like Tommy may have been. Well, okay, they they say that Tommy's entire family was murdered by Jason. Maybe Tommy was a 
Oh my god, dude. Was Tommy uh Feldman? Tommy is grown up little Feldman. No, they do not look similar. That is a bad that's <laughs> yeah, bad casting. Actually, so the fifth movie, fourth one, we have Lil Feldman, Tommy. Uh and he kills Jason. And in fact, he has a moment uh where there's like this hidden sort of uh kind of almost scary level of violence that bursts out of Lil Feldman, little Tommy. And he just like goes to town on Jason with the machete, screaming, die, die, die. And you get the hint that like, oh, they're going to maybe do something interesting or take his character in, in a certain direction. Uh-huh. And in the fifth movie, we have grown-up Tommy again, which that Tommy is more of an attempt to make him look like a grown-up little Feldman. Yeah, this, did, um, this, this guy looked like Dennis Reynolds from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. There's no... <laughs> he also had the same, like, he had the, he had the weird, like, the emotional disparency. Like, there's no... What he is saying and how he is acting do not ever fit together. Like, I'm not <laughs> sure if they were just like, okay, so yeah. as a acting choice, we want you to have two separate personalities on the page. One is what you look like, and the other is what you say. And let's just see how this goes. And then they forgot to redo it. <laughs> It, man, his act, his choices as an actor were baffling to me. I, I have no sense of uh, what he's going for or what they wanted out of him or even really Tommy's character. Everything I know about Tommy, I know from the previous two movies, and we're just coasting on that. <laughs> so. Oh, perfect. I'm glad this was my only experience. <laughs> yeah. So like the well, so the fifth one, basically, like um, the fifth one, he's also in like a mental health facility, but it's like a series of cabins that's run like a camp. It's the weirdest facility ever. And he's like. He's got anger issues, and he's, like, lashing out. And basically, that movie has no Jason. It has someone pretending to be Jason. Jason's dead. Um, this one could have followed right from four. Huh. We didn't need five. And in five, they were, like, playing with the idea of having Tommy become Jason, and that was the original plan. And at the end of the movie, he, he's, like, dreaming about Jason, dreaming about becoming Jason, and then he ends up, the, the final scene in that fifth movie has him basically, like, picking up a knife and, and becoming Jason. And the, like, fan reaction to that movie was so poor people hated it so much they basically said well let's not do that anymore and that really explains like this movie and being the drastic change in tone and direction that it is right like let's try let's get wild with it okay so talking about that change in direction like for me the vibes of this movie this is like schlocky midnight movie like halloween vibes right as soon as i heard the screeching violas yeah and saw the fog in the opening scene i was like oh it's this sort of horror movie. Like, yeah. I knew exactly what I was getting into. I thought I did. I was wrong. <laughs> and for me, like, coming through, like, watching them chronologically recently, like, finally, we're, we're here. Like, fun times. Like, the musical swells over, like, the foggy woods. Like, the guy's racing in the truck, right? The mask on the, the seat of the truck. Jason belongs in hell, and I'm going to see he gets there. You know, just like, yeah. we are starting off. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Everything's just over the top. The lightning strikes, the, the huge gusts of wind blowing the leaves around as they're like stomping through the graveyard, you know, carrying the lantern. We talked about the really maggoty corpse, like just fun props. Little, little Feldman's like uh, audio flashback, die, die, you know, and just that's what that was. I would have loved to have known that that was where the die, die was coming from. <laughs> I was very confused, but cool. So yeah, that, that lightning strike, I mean, that's when the franchise changed forever. That's when they decided, like, Jason's no longer going to be this, maybe he survived the drowning, maybe he didn't, he's, but he's still, like, kind of grounded in reality. Now it's just, no, he's this, like, supernatural, unstoppable force. He always comes back. He has, like, 
powers of a sort, um, and we're getting goofy with it. They def they definitely got goofy with it, and I'm I'm very curious about what um, how his powers kind of manifested. Like you kind of see it through the movie, especially like his strength, but yeah. it's not always there. It's only there when it's convenient. Yeah, and I was very very confused and curious about about how that worked. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's still a bad movie. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's goofy. It's still brutal. It's still kind of raw. Like this is the perfect balance. The next couple movies, they continue to get goofy with it, and they just keep piling it on and going in the wrong direction. Like I, this is the moment that I think the balance is right. Because when he puts on the mask, that dun dun dun, you know, like yeah. the Jason theme kicks in, and then puts on the mask. The blood sprays like the title across the screen. Jason lives. Like this is the right kind of energy. This is perfect. See, I. It felt like they may have been trying to go for like a little bit of Sam Raimi, like a little bit of Evil Dead. There is some Sam Raimi energy in here. Yeah, for sure. but it just didn't it didn't feel like it fit the atmosphere for me. Like it didn't fit the rest of the movie. Like, gotcha. even in Evil Dead, like, yes, there is a cert there's a certain level of horror there, like the Necronomicon and everything kind of turning against you. And it, it is it. There are times it has like the kind of Silent Hill thing where you are in a place that you feel kind of you're in a cabin that doesn't seem like it is supernatural in any way, shape or form. And then it starts getting mutated into evil mm -hmm. or this. You just have a whole lot of really bad people being chased by a worse undead monster person. It's definitely more evil dead two than evil dead one. If we were to make a maybe, I don't know there. I, I struggled with this film a bunch. Maybe it's because I don't have the history the the background or or things like that but i really really struggled with this movie i did like so the the after the lightning strike we get to meet like the head counselors and the sheriff and stuff like that we get to meet some of the tertiary characters yeah so basically tommy's gone to the sheriff to like scream about jason being back he's not believed as he wouldn't be yeah right i mean the law enforcement in this in forest green sheriff garris he I, is so sassy I, not even sad he's just an asshole like there he's an asshole but i i guess i just mean like if you were to just look at his dialogue like disembodied from him like are you in show business kid you sure know how to make an entrance don't piss me off junior i'll repaint this office with your brains you know everything's just he's got like sass and like color to it yeah it's it's like uh it's like an improv comedian maybe did a pass through on his dialogue yeah but it's hereditary because when his daughter Megan shows up, they they go back and forth like with the verbal volleyball, like the banter. And it's like it's like Gilmore Girls energy. Or they just go back and forth really fast, super fast talking. <laughs> uh, yeah, they both got one liners. And then yeah. as, as soon as Megan's kind of introduced, we get exposition from her. Like that is what she becomes almost immediately is just exposition girl. She explains about Jason being drowned by counselors and his mom was decapitated and, you know, the basically the first film, I would guess. Well, that's funny. You just said she recaps you on everything that's taken place thus far. And I think that's it. And uh, that's kind of telling. Yeah. She could give you a uh, two to three sentence exposition and pretty much catch you up on what you missed in five movies. Right. Um, <laughs> it, it just it kind of blew me away how easy it was for characters to be introduced as almost a product and then just get absolutely destroyed. There's the um, it's the movie The Wall, you know, the Pink Floyd yeah. movie where like uh, in the, another brick in the wall part two, you know, we don't need no education. And all the kids are just basically in the movie. It's like a, a music video of sorts. They're just like going down a conveyor belt and like going into this meat grinder and being ground up into 
something gross. And that's just that those are protagonists in Friday the 13th movies generally. Like don't invest in them. There's not really anything to them. They're just fodder to be ground up into something. They're just things to be killed by Jason. So like right before Megan's exposition, we meet the head counselors heading to formerly Camp Crystal Lake, now Camp Forest Green. Mm -hmm. They are on screen for less than like three minutes. I thought they were going to try to have sex in their car, and that's why Jason was going to get them. No, instead, they try to get Jason off the road by driving toward him, but they still stop. Yeah. Like, they're... (laughs) And they don't know who this guy is. So, I mean, part of me is like, okay, these guys seem all right. They are going to be camp head counselors for a camp full of kids. They could have run this guy over, but instead they just like try to scare him out of the way like you would a deer, I guess. Well, I have to ask, like you're driving along to your new place of employment through the woods late at night and you see someone wearing the Jason hockey mask standing in the road, brandishing. I'm trying to remember what he's holding at the time. Uh, It was I think it was just like a spear or like a spike. Yeah, he's got the spear, right? He's already holding it when they they come up on him. Yeah. And he's not moving. You honk the horn. Nothing. Just standing there motionless. Do you run that person down or do you try and give him a good spook? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Because to me, it felt reasonable, right? The, We're going to try and scare him off the road. Yeah, but. I thought it was reasonable, too. Um, well, I guess. But there is also the fact that there are three car links on either side of him. That was a go very, around the Jason. Go around, go around the Jason. Around the Jason. We have Jason. Jason construction right here. Just you know, go around. Everything's fine. Nothing yeah. to see. But uh, I expected after Haas died, like with the hand through the chest, holding his yeah. heart, and a, like kind of like Kali Ma style. I was like, oh, these kills mm-hmm. are going to be funny. A few of them are, but this one, no, it's oh, very inconsistent. Yes. Yeah, old boy just gets stabbed, and the girl like this was a a moment that the personality of the film came through really strongly. And that was when I realized that I wasn't sure I liked the personality of the film when she's trying to pay him to go away after he just killed her boyfriend and he stabs down through her face. I guess you don't see because again, maybe they couldn't get her on camera for longer than five minutes, but (laughs) all you see is a floating American express card and some cash and the blood kind of yeah. like coming into the water I'm like oh man i could have done without that like i i get it it's supposed to be like kind of whimsical i guess but eh. yeah when you revel in the death of your characters right right it's a really it's a hard balancing act to pull off because you want the you want the kills to be sort of like fun and like creative because like it's that kind of movie but also like some of them they they cross the line of just feeling like bad kind of icky right yeah. just like in that's, bad taste that's exactly just, you, how i felt yeah that that's one that doesn't work for me for sure i i will say this we will talk about this again in the nightmare on elm street movie when it comes to like death style and how they kind of approach character death in the film where this it's mm-hmm. almost extraneous like it's it is the plot the plot is death yeah like, right, right. Th- that that's it and some of them are very very funny and some of them are, like you said, kind of icky. Yeah. But you know what's not icky? It's a short scene. Like, like you said, not even five minutes, I'm sure. Yeah. Just a little quick conversation as they're traveling through the woods on the way to the camp. But we have our first instance that I could tell of like getting meta with it, right? Like um, I've seen enough horror movies to know any weirdo wearing a mask is never friendly. Yeah. Like they're, they come upon Jason. They're commenting on the idea of Jason, right? And it, the film continues to break the fourth wall beyond that. I mean, this isn't really so meta, but... 
even the next line when he pulls out the gun, she's like, you, you ain't Dirty Harry. Stop it. Like, oh, we're just commenting on other movies. Yeah. Now. Yeah. We're, we're all, just making a lot of references. We are aware of where we are right now. Yeah. And I do like that. Like, that's the direction it should go because, like, I don't know why. Like, you watch these movies and, like, why is this a thing? Why is Friday the 13th a thing? Like, they're really not good movies and they're, they get progressively bad up until this point. But it's like, it's just, it's cruising off its own momentum. It's just like, we've done, we've come this far, we've made this money, and now we can, like, we have enough lore and, like, we're out there in, like, the public consciousness enough that we can just keep rolling with it and like on the strength of the franchise even though it's all just like smoke and mirrors basically there's really nothing to this franchise i think that's what get down to i think that's what kind of struck me almost immediately after the first couple of scenes like moving into this is that there's just not there's not much meat on these bones like i love the meta kind of commentary that some of the characters make the problem Mm -hmm. is i've seen it done better and i've seen it done through like an entire film Mm -hmm. And seeing it kind of just like hit and missed through through the film, I, I will say there are a few moments in the movie where I genuinely laughed out loud because I was like, holy shit, that is incredibly ridiculous and funny. But there are also moments where I'm like, I don't feel good. <laughs> like, yeah, I do not feel great about what I'm watching right now. Yep, you said no meat on the bone. It's telling that like when I was getting my notes prepared for our conversation today, I wanted to reference certain counselors and I really had to like go through the wikipedia page and imdb like wait what was the name of that counselor i can't remember and like do i have this right is it sissy or was that paula you know yeah. just they don't there's just nothing to them so now court we remember court of course sure you remember oh, court. court we love court we do <laughs> you do <laughs> <laughs> i love his uh native american history lesson that's for sure that was actually very i that was amusing to me um yeah, we'll get to that. Um, so, I mean, so we're at the jail, right? Tommy was raving about Jason's back. Meanwhile, Martin, another na- name I had to look up there, the cemetery groundskeeper, comes upon Jason's open grave and fills it in. With Haas's foot sticking out of the thing in fucking <laughs> in duck boots. Like, Jason's not wearing duck boots, my man. <laughs> Didn't even bury him, right? And, I mean, I, I do like this line. He's like filling in the grave and he's like, why did they have to go and dig up Jason? Some folks have a strange idea of entertainment, and he almost looks directly at the camera. Yeah. That's a fun line. Yeah. I like that moment. He was a very enjoyable character to watch. When he died, Enjoy I was, it while you can. I was sad. Yeah. Okay, so I feel like the thing to focus on are the things that actually surprised us. Well, no, I don't know if anything surprised you. Um, I mean, the next scene I was going to talk about would kind of surprise me a little bit, which is the paintball scene. Yes. Because right there with you. We were talking about Sam Raimi energy. This to me was Sam Raimi energy, like the um, the little guy, the little bespectacled guy that like survives everyone else that is like darting between the trees. Like yeah. he could have been played by Ted Raimi, and yeah. that would have made perfect sense to I, me. I would have loved that. Like I I saw him as a Ted Raimi kind of stand-in sort of character. So cartoonishly goofy, too much for me. This, this is the moment in the movie that I personally dislike the most. It's it's like children's movie level of cartoonish it's just too goofy okay so the entire paintball scene is like i am already kind of i'm not on my way out yet i didn't like the deaths of the head counselors too much but i understand what we're doing and i understand kind of the type of film we're in the paintball scene is where i straight up went oh no i don't know how much i'm actually gonna like this so basically we have a bunch of like company execs like paintball team building like a yeah they're team yeah, building in the woods near the camp. Right. Yeah. Pretty, pretty classical like scenario. But paintball team building a group. You've got 
fat shaming. You got uh, the two guys walking together trying to hunt down the CEO, I guess. And the one guy is mm-hmm. just fat shaming the other guy the entire time. And the other poor friend is just like, man, you're really different when we're out here. I don't like it. <laughs> I was like, Damn. I, guess I totally forgot about that. I couldn't hear it through all the misogyny. Yeah, there's that too. Just all around all the hits. I actually have misogynist killed with smiley face and got his arm ripped off. Um, yeah, they slam a dude's head into a tree and it leaves behind a carved smiley face with blood. Yeah, we were on talking it. about that before. That's like one of the first things I remember, like a scene that sticks with me from like catching part of this movie at a very young age was the smiley face in the tree. And uh, don't like it. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, it's too much. It's very, very too much. It's not even a bloody smiley. Yeah, it's not even a bloody, bloody smiley face. It's just. It's like a carving into the tree yes. spattered with blood. Yes. <laughs> Weird. But it's immediately yeah. followed by Jason decapitating three people with one swipe of a single machete. Mm-hmm. And they were not even close together. Like it's, it's three stooges energy. Yeah. And that's that's whenever I realized like, oh, this movie doesn't know what it is. That's what it is. Like it's trying its best <laughs> to. Yeah, it's doing the same thing that the Friday the 13th video game was doing. It is very much. It is very ambitious, but it is trying to be three separate movies. And I like the idea of two of them. Mm-hmm. I don't like the idea of one of them. And one of them is the paintball misogyny, fat shaming, Three Stooges murder show. Yeah, there's too much of that residual series DNA in here, too, right? Because, yeah. like, there's no fun in those original movies. I mean, it's it's raw. It's it's visceral. Like, um, it's going for, like, serious scares and, like, serious tension. Sure. And so it feels bad to see see people get off. In this one... I don't want to say you look forward to it, but you are like always kind of like morbidly curious, like what is Jason going to do with this next counselor? Is he going to get wacky with it? Or is he just going to is he going to be Jason like just murder? So this scene also provides us with one other one other thing that carries over through the rest of the film. There are no good people in this movie. Like there is no one that is in the movie that I'm just like, man, I hope they make it all the way to the end. Yeah, I guess when you put it that way, I'm kind of indifferent to everybody. Yeah. Like the counselors, they, you know, I don't know. They're not like particularly like was, admirable or was characters, it, right? They're, they're Paula. Just... Paula had a really nice moment with the little girl. Like what I did when I was little, whenever I was afraid of something, I, I said a little prayer. And then after I said my prayer, I, I opened my eyes and everything was fine. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, we actually, despite my own non-religious nature, we have someone here who genuinely seems to care about these kids. As opposed to everyone else involved in the movie. And I'm like, maybe she's going to. Nope. Not even three minutes later after that prayer scene. Just done. I, I got to say the, uh, the the care for the kid is kind of undercut by her not knowing the, the child's name. Yeah, I, I get it. The kids had just arrived at this point in the movie. Like the kids came in on buses and they're kind of like scrambling because the head counselors never showed up. It all, it all takes place in the in the first two nights of camp. Like it's only yeah. two days. And oh, by the way, just so we're keeping score. After the paintball scene, um, that would be 10 deaths. All right. So, yeah, we have we have that scene. The kids get there. We have, like, Ort's, like, Boy Scout lesson. So what was going on with this? Like, he's, like, piling rocks on the ground, and he's telling the boys, like, Native American chieftains would, like, when they got tired of their, their woman, they would, like, fuck off into the woods and, like, leave the stones for their son so that the son could track them down. They could go do, like, alpha shit, like, dude stuff, and, like, the son would knock over the stones so that the, the mom woman wouldn't get them. wise. Yeah. That's right. Do you know what he's talking about? No fucking clue. <laughs> so that that was 
I had two <laughs> two notes immediately after the whole thing. Yeah. One of them is there's a kid reading Sartre, which I thought was very, very <laughs> I good. I didn't notice that. I thought that was very, very good. <laughs> All right. That was the type of humor that I was looking for. Like there are kids reading like yeah. Lord of the Flies and stuff like that, which I thought was very funny. Um, uh-huh. But my next thing was Court Sucks. I fucking hate that dude, man. I don't like him at all. He's funny, though. Like, his general sort of uh, delivery. Like, he's not a character you, you root for, but he's, it's kind of fun when he's on screen. It's sort of like vapid, sort of, you know, like, disaffected teenage thing, but he's like the cool earring-wearing, like, frayed jeans guy, you know? I think it was just because I wanted a character to root for. And when he yeah. first walked into the sheriff's office and he had, like, kind of the punk rock or, like, hair metal look, I was like, okay, maybe this guy is going to be fun. And instead, he is also like a self-centered misogynist who obviously doesn't worry about the kids or anything like that. But as soon as he started having sex, I was like, well, see you, bud. Yeah, that's that's all it takes. But before his sex, we're getting, uh, let's see, it's the couple that has like their late night champagne picnic in the middle of the woods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't know what they're celebrating or why they're doing it there but that's where they're doing it and, and i love just, the fact they that they decided to bone down the the yeah. dude didn't want to the the guy didn't even right. want to bone down i have a headache and it's been really stressful but you know, <laughs> i guess i brought this wine out here so what the hell well we talked about the the paintball scene misogyny and they're like what if we sort of like undercut that or just tried to like make up for that by inverting the typical trope here you know now it's the guy that's playing coy maybe I couldn't tell if he was. I don't know what they're doing. I couldn't tell if he was playing coy or if they were just like they were in inversing the relationship by making fun of like cliched responses to male I really advances. Tell if he was like right. I couldn't get the sense from his acting whether it was supposed to be a bit or not. I couldn't tell part. if he was actually acting or if that's just like he was just doing that on set. Like that that was just <laughs> the actor. Yeah, they're just like okay, best boy, best girl. Uh, just go ahead. There we go. Have it. But uh, yeah, that that whole thing. And then Martin, drunk Martin, the uh, the cemetery groundskeeper. Yep. Staggers through, polishes off the rest of a bottle of something. Uh, he calls it Lorraine or something like that. He okay. call he calls it a woman's name and and says that she led him astray again because he's lost <laughs> in his own goddamn forest slash graveyard. And then <laughs> Jason takes him out with the broken whiskey bottle or whatever. Yeah, so this scene also like encapsulates what we're talking about. It's it's fun. Like he tosses the bottle over his shoulder blindly, and then doesn't hear it crash, and then like whips around, and Jason's holding the bottle. Like, yeah, all right, that that's that's funny. But then like Jason just kind of crushes it, and just then it feels bad. We're back to feeling bad. Just like jabs him with the broken glass. Yeah, and there's no fun to that. And you know, you know what it reminded again, me we're of? just oscillating between the two poles yeah. here. It reminded us, reminded me a little bit of our conversation about Mortal Kombat, where we talked about how a lot of people who are fans of either the movie or the video game, we're not looking for gore. We like, like, creativity. And I yeah. think that's what this lacked when it came to a lot of the, the, the deaths. Yep. Eventually, you're just like, oh, that person just died. Yeah. I guess we move on. I guess anytime you're dwelling on the, the idea of death, the movie is failing, right? Yeah. So he gets it, and then the couple, you know, they try and escape. They see Jason coming. They get on the motorcycle, and he just kind of, like, spears them front to back with the uh, machete. Yeah. Right? As they're trying to, to bike off. So that puts the kill count at, what are we at now? Uh, that should be 13. That's another three. Okay. Oh. No, I, I'm sorry. Uh, 10 is after 
the uh the couple and the groundskeeper got it uh the whole rv sex scene with court it made me very uncomfortable like the whole thing was just uh, court has left the kids as the only male counselor the first night they arrive to go get laid in an rv with a woman nikki who stole her stepdad's rv yeah i think that's right yeah and she just wants him to make it through this song for the sex and what sex it is it's this is some sex it is all it's so clothed so clothed fully clothed and she's like like she's on top of him basically like jazzercising on his dick like she is yeah. just dancing to the music the sex is like secondary it they're having a they're having a downstairs mix up dance party that's it except for court court's just like you mean it's four minutes longer i can't shit she's telling him to last till the end of the song but then that's punctuated with her just like flailing back and forth saying you're so good you're so good and that's between cuts of like cutting back to court who's basically just like lying motionless on the bed like having like letting her just go to town you would call that a (laughs) dead fish i believe yeah this dead fish is so good (laughs) yeah love a good dead fish um so but, yeah she doesn't need you really you're just you, you could be anybody she's doing her thing yeah she she wants to fuck this song not you <laughs> yeah um i like this scene though um it's it's i i think it's funny and uh it's it this is like another this is when i think the movie shines it like gets meta with it it kind of breaks the fourth wall but not in any obvious winking at the camera way it just subtly like comments upon the propensity for these movies to have teenagers always like boning down before the the scene and it's usually in the past it was always like i mean it's that that old adage like what are the cheapest special effects right nudity right sure like we're showing boobies at the earliest opportunity and often and this is the only movie with uh no nudity in the whole franchise i believe definitely up until this point and um i think there was i was reading so the director mclaughlin he wanted them clothed in this scene he wanted to kind of distance their films from their perception that they're like morality tales where like premarital sex is punished by death, huh? But it's still punished Jason by based, death. Abstinence only education. Yeah, right. I was gonna, it like, is. I mean, it's still like it's still the same thing. It's just they're on. They, they have, have their clothes, clothes on, on, and it's not. It's not filmed to be sexy. It's just filmed to be funny and goofy. But I mean, going into this scene, I really like. It stands out. The exterior shot of the RV. There's something about the lighting in that scene. You've got this RV parked in this desolate part of the campground with like the, the picnic table. And like other than that, just completely desolate. The fog rolling in, like the moon illumination, and then like the light coming from the windows of the RV. And then it's just like bouncing around like crazy. Which um, is- along with, you know, <laughs> yeah. the jazzercise sex. Yeah, sure. Uh, I just like that combination of aesthetics. I, I don't know. It works for me. I like it just a visual level. Um, so Jason cuts their power to the RV. Right before the song finishes, but Court does. Oh, but before he cuts it, he approaches the, the RV yeah. and looks upon the scene, and he does that thing that he does a few times where he, like, cocks his head to the side like a dog hearing a, yeah. a strange noise. Yeah. <laughs> also, okay. <sighs> Forgot about this. Yeah. We have seen it so far. How did he get so fucking big after the lightning struck him? When he was in that coffin, he was... A skeleton with a little bit of flesh left on him. When you see him again, he is 6'8", 350 pounds. It's on that lightning shit. Man, I, I didn't get it, but hey, you know, good on him. Uh, this is where we pivot to, uh, we're going to start selling supplements and uh, 
lightning-based supplements. Yo, yo, alphas. Yeah. This is what you do to take charge, get swole, seize the day. We're going to call it Quartz Native American Supplement. They're rocks. They're rocks. They're just rocks. But the, like, we got some genuine tensions. They're like, you know, um, popping out of the RV, like exploring around, like, well, what is the source of this power outage? You know, like popping around the corner of the RV. And then we got a jump scare. Like Nikki comes out behind court. You know, it's not Jason. It's her like falling up behind, you know, and they get back in the RV to like drive off. And you just know, you know, Jason's, Jason's in that RV. Inside that RV. Yeah. 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 And th- I think that's good. That's a good moment of like audience tension. Like we we're watching them like drive off thinking they're escaping the situation you just know he's hiding out in the back and it's like we've got that tension but then we've also got the comedy of like court i mean he is such an asshole he floors it and nikki just flies back through the rv and she's yeah. like flailing around bouncing on the back as he like throws on the alice cooper teenage frankenstein and we're just like barreling across these country roads and then uh i mean it just for me they are able to balance the the comedy here with like the tension because like the jump scare when jason like bursts out of the toilet and grabs her and, and takes her in. I think it hits. Yeah. Um, There's a lot going on here. Her, I, obviously, I didn't want her character to die necessarily, but the way it was done was my favorite one so far. I was about to say the same thing. Like, there's struggle, there's effort, there's tension, and then there's the funny. Of, yeah. like, shoving her face so hard into a metal wall that it, like, creates the out, like, the indention of her face in the wall it's like han solo in the carbonite like yeah. popping out the other side of the the wall yeah it was it's really reminiscent of there's an effect in the original nightmare on elm street where freddy comes out of the wall and it looks like that it almost feels like a uh, an homage to that and then he kills court it's fine yes yeah, like to go from that to shoving her through the wall like like a really inventive way we haven't seen this before and then he just like stabs court in the, up head. To the front of the and he's just a knife in the side of the head and the, the rv flips over and like well we just went from this high to just now this the slow you yeah. know there's nothing to that it, mean, again it, it just feels bad it does that the end of that scene i can't believe i'm giving it props on this one um but it does reinforce that jason is now either more or less than human he is no longer mm. a man he is superhuman definitely reinforce like the the rv flips over and catches fire and then it's just that jason theme k- kicks in again yeah. and he's standing atop you know just triumphant and based on the video game, Jason was afraid of fire. He doesn't seem that afraid of it there. Don't or, try or, and... Or was that just the video don't, game? <laughs> Bo, don't, don't do this to yourself. Bo, Bo, don't. If there's no... Just no. <laughs> don't look for anything to stay consistent. Don't for, look for anything to be motivated. Don't look for follow-through. Just uh, save the brain power for... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we got, we got these counselors. Well, we got one fewer counselor. We have the other... We have Paula and Sissy back at the campground. They're hanging out, playing a, the Jason card game, which I was intrigued by. This. I would play that game where Jason is the... Jason is what? The king of spades. Well, someone assembled the rules. I have the rules here if you would like to... Oh, yeah. For all what? of you that want to play the... So you get a deck of typical playing cards, right? Uh, apparently, it's for 2 to 11 or 2 to 6 players for a shorter game. Here are the rules. First one. Each player chooses a face card. The face cards represent camp counselors. Sure. No one can be the jack of spades. That's Jason. Okay. Shuffle each card into the deck and separate them into four piles. Each pile represents a cabin. Face cards found in cabins with Jason are dead. Once all the piles have been looked in, shuffle the deck and start again. The game keeps going until there's only one person left or everyone is dead. The dealer plays Jason for the bonus round. I think I like that game better than the video game. Yeah, I mean... I would, I would, I would play this game with friends. 
I could see that being like a I could see it being like a drinking game. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Playing it, playing it as a drinking game. Like take game. a shot if Jason gets you. And yeah, yeah, I, I, that could work. Otherwise, yeah. I, I don't see that there's much there to, to hold my interest personally. Well, but, I mean, uh, she she made it up in a cabin with a with a single deck of cards. <laughs> with uh, it's just Sissy and Paula there. She had to come up with something. Well, one thing we can say for certain is alcohol or not, probably yes, preferable to playing the NES game. Yeah. Um. This these next couple of scenes move really fast for me, and I, the part of me is kind of kind of fine with it. Sissy's death because she thought that Court was playing a prank on them. Yeah, they hear the noise outside the window, and she yeah. decides to like pour cola or like a soda outside to try. And yeah, to... and then Jason just decapitates yeah. her. Well, I mean, I think it's like this is a moment like there's tension, like the camera like right behind her, like as she's like stepping closer and closer to the window. It's a slow pan, and then, like, he pops up and grabs her by the head and twists it off. Yeah. Not just decapitates. Yeah. Twists her shit off. Uh, move through the next one is... I actually Paula. wrote... Uh, yeah, I actually wrote down in my notes, surprise they killed the uh, the sister of the main cap counselors, the Christian prayer girl. I was, su- I was mm. genuinely surprised they killed her off. Especially how they did it. Just, like, fucking red paint all over the cabin. Because... He killed he killed Sissy outside. So all that blood in the cabin is from Paula. Yeah. This is the moment It's a Jackson Paula painting. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I hate myself for that. I hate myself for that one. Absolutely no. hate myself for that one. Well done. Well done, um, sir. Thanks. That to me is the moment that is most reminiscent of the previous films. Like we all the hits are here. She's alone in the cabin. The door bangs open from a gust of wind horror movie cliche very long like sort of yeah yeah come up to the door close it and then like it blows open again jason's there and then to top it all off he throws her through the window first we get like the the scream the the exterior shot and the blood splattering onto the windows but then he literally throws her out and there's just in this franchise there are so many fucking people so many jumping through the windows and a lot of times it's jason yeah, but we've always got someone crashing through a window, so that to me almost felt like sort of meta as well, just with the number well, of times. Well, especially that's because he throws her out of the window after she's already been killed. Like, there's, there's. Yeah, I don't really know what the purpose there is. I, th- I really think it probably was a meta thing because there was no reason for so. him to, to do that. Yeah. Interspersed with this, every now and again we go back to some scenes with Tommy, and the scenes really don't matter that much. Tommy keeps trying to get to the to the camp to kill Jason. The sheriff keeps catching him and bringing him back to the jail. That's it. <laughs> That's all that happened. And and Megan apparently be- believes him a little bit and tries to help him get out and stuff, but they get caught again. And it's yeah, believes enough to to go on a little car chase. Once again, another Alice Cooper track. Uh, what was this one? Um, Hard Rock Summer. Yeah. Hard Rock Summer sounds right. But they keep panning over to her her denim covered crotch as Tommy just yeah. stares at it. Like, well, she shows off his man. face down into it. So we're like at his vantage point, I guess. Right. But, hey, don't forget, this is not a morality tale. (laughs) Right. It's like, hey, we know this franchise has a reputation. We're keeping everyone's clothes on this time, but we still got crotch shots. Yeah, we're going to make sure that we all know that Tommy is staring directly into her. So that that keeps happening. And finally, Megan helps break Tommy out completely. Apparently, I didn't like the fact that the deputy called Megan, who is the sheriff's daughter, Babe. Like, it mm. felt real, like, dude, you probably knew her as a little girl. Like, Oof, yeah, I didn't uh, note that. Yeah. Timeline. Get away from him, babe. And I'm like, oh, you can't, you shouldn't be saying that to her. Um, 
but they they fool the deputy by Tommy kisses Megan and he comes over and they shove him in the cell and they leave. Then all the sheriffs follow and thus begins Endgame. Thank God. Now, I have yeah. I have one very important question. And this is this is entirely sincere as well. Are you aware of what forensics were like in the late 80s? I I I wasn't. But I would no. assume that you had time of death. You had like you could you could judge based on like what is it morbidity? Sure. But like you could judge time of death with some relative ease. They keep thinking that Tommy is responsible for the murders once they start finding the murders. But he is either in the cell or with Megan the entire time. Yeah, the the sheriff just like he's convinced from the get go that like Tommy did all these murders, even though it's increasingly obvious that I mean, there's always this is like a very common trope, right? Like the disbelieving sheriff or other authority figure that like even though there's increasing evidence to the contrary, they just will not like accept the truth of the situation. But for me, like it's it's tedious because of like how much we're doing it and how obvious it is that like Tommy could not have killed any of these people. Yeah. When they find the first people, like when they find the head counselors and the deputy's like, hey, we found these bodies. And I'm like, Tommy was in a jail cell when those people were killed. Yeah. You, you guys should be aware of that a, a little bit, right? <laughs> um, so we move into Endgame. All the sheriffs show up. Uh, Tommy says he has a plan, though, and that Jason needs to go back to where he came from, which is Crystal Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually enjoyed some of the some of the sheriff and sheriff deputies deaths. Some of them were pretty fun. Yeah, I have a favorite. I don't know about you. Is it is can I guess what you got? Is it when the sheriff gets just fucking turned in half? Oh, no, I guess it's not the death so much. I really like the cop that finds a little girl. He says, go back to bed. And she says, no, there's a scary man. And he says, oh, what scary man? Kind of like in a sort of um, dismissive way. And then out pops Jason. And I love that entrance of Jason after that bit of dialogue. But no, then he just kind of crushes the head. And it's really just that Uh, introduction. I like that Jason apparently can throw a crossbow bolt. (laughs) With intense accuracy and uh, strength. And he folds the sheriff on it. and And he folds the sheriff in half. He crushes the sheriff's entire body. Yeah. This is where his superpowers made me a little confused. Uh, so we had those three deaths. Megan and uh, Tommy arrive. They tell the kids to they bring the kids all into one single cabin, which I was like, video game. <laughs> <laughs> is yeah. this the cabin by the lake? Um, and it is the cabin by the fucking lake. When they tell the kids to get under the bed, did you pay attention to the to the scene here? The kids literally dive head first. Like you see bodies of children fly across the camera for them to dive underneath beds. And there's that one sassy kid who's like, we're dead meat. And then his friend turns to him and it's one of my favorite quote. It's probably my favorite quote of the entire movie and maybe my favorite quote in a horror movie that I've seen in a long time. And it's the sassy kid's friend just turns to him and goes, what were you going to be when you grow up? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like that is the most well-adjusted child in the history of children. Just what were you going to be when you grow up or when you grew up? (laughs) That's a good line. I was like, God, that that's fucking that was funny. I laughed very, very hard there. All the sheriffs died. No kids die. I love that. Yeah. Even the little girl, the, the little girl finds the machete and encounters Jason and Jason's right over her bed at one point. I told you, man, 
I told you, those kids should have been protecting protecting the counselors in the game. <laughs> you were right. Yeah, as mean spirited as this franchise can get at times, they never have. They never go full child murder. Yeah, they flirt with it a couple times, but they never quite do it. I mean, it was flirted with this time a little bit, and like the little girl right. like said her prayer while Jason was over her bed, and then he left because he he heard that um megan and, and tommy were back and i thought that was a, mm-hmm. a cute little callback i mean that girl is irreparably scarred tommy goes out on the lake with a boat a big fucking rock with chains wrapped around it that's his plan perfect perfect plan i mean it is it works so <laughs> okay so we're, we're ending the movie here jason at one point actually has his hands on megan mm-hmm. why doesn't he kill her i keep telling you strike the word why <laughs> from your vocabulary no questions just it, they're doing what they're doing it is what it is that's it and then that's just it <laughs> tommy convinces jason to come out into the water but doesn't think about the fact that jason is gonna have to go under the water and he's <laughs> he suddenly seems very surprised that he loses sight of jason suddenly <laughs> fucking idiot you've camped what? how it's only nighttime on a murky lake. Yeah, How could why, I have possibly why, lost him? Why can't I see him anymore? He gets the chains wrapped around Jason. There's a little bit of he pours some gas on the water to make some fire so he can see things. And as Jason goes into the water, he pulls Tommy in with him. Tommy is able to get free, and so is Megan. This is from a very large man who just bent a human being in half and crushed a man's mm-hmm. skull to death. How, where did his strength go? Oh, and he can throw a crossbow bolt at like, you know, fucking crossbow speeds, 300 feet per second. I I don't know what a crossbow shoots at, but that's what I'm saying. Works for me. And then Megan turns the, the boat propeller and just fucking grinds his head. And Mm -hmm. the end. Yeah. They just, I guess they just chop him up enough, right? Like nothing has seemed to work thus far. They've like unloaded into him. He's been like, and even in previous movies, like the the amount that they've just like cut him up into little pieces or like, but yeah, the propeller seems to do it. Yeah. But oh, no, he's not dead. He, he's not dead. They make sure to show you that at the end of the movie. His eye is still open oh, yeah. underwater. Incapacitated enough to just like not struggle against the, the rock chain anchor. I guess. It's enough to keep him down there for a while. It's a, it's a, I don't know. It's fine. I mean, it's like a, it's a gory finish. Apparently they filmed this in Tom McLaughlin, the director's father's pool and ruined the filter with all the gore churned out from Jason getting chopped up by the boat propeller. Sounds about right. That's fun. Um, so Tommy's plan has a small flaw before, before we move on to nightmare, uh, just a couple of, a couple of brief things. All Jason has to do is swim down a little bit and take the chains off of his neck. Right. I'm I'm assuming that's what he does in Jason 7, Jason Swims. Um, no. Well, fuck. You would assume wrong. Sure. <laughs> Darn. I mean, based on the strength we've seen thus far, you could just, you could probably just lift the rock and, and walk, yeah. walk his way out. Yeah. I, I feel like I have to tell you this, though. No, the way that he gets out in the next movie is there is um, a psychic girl with telekinetic power that comes to the lake that is revisiting the trauma of accidentally using her powers, her unhinged powers to collapse the boathouse on top of her father as a child. And um, she's like flashing back and her trauma mixed with the outburst of telekinetic energy uh, frees Jason from the lake. That's stupid. (laughs) Man. That is, 
it's a truly baffling film. It's like we we have like a psychic it's a psychic battle at the end of the movie. It's crazy. I hate that. And it just doesn't come up again. I I hate that. Because like yeah. I, I feel like the Friday the 13th films could very easily be about a mortal man, a slasher who just lives in the forest, well, lives off live, yeah. yeah. And it like you said, the first movie is the best movie even though it's more about his mom. But like introducing superpowers seven movies in or six movies in in this case seems uh, seems like too much well it's like you just started that sentence it could be and i think there was a lot of that yeah well it could be this let's do this it could be this let's try this um eight kind of takes it back he's like back in the lake i'm trying to remember how he even gets back in the lake and i just watched the movie It, it just evaporates like fucking cotton candy from my brain um well he's electrocuted at at the beginning of, of eight, Jason takes Manhattan. He's back in the water and he like comes up on a, onto a boat as we're once again boning down. We're, we're back to the back sexy to, times. Yeah, back to people can be naked again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Electricity is the play. Electricity and psychics and fire and tridents, harpoons. <laughs> Fucking too Those are the weaknesses. I was waiting to see a trident. <laughs> Just anything but stones. Yeah. Because you can never get the arc on the stone quite right. No, never can. Weakness are stones and just Debbie. <laughs> Fucking Debbie. So that that is Jason lives. I. Eh. He lives. He dies. He lives again. Yeah. How do you feel? Uh, we we've talked. So we've we have like a a very in depth rating system for our our games. Yeah. We have not extended that to the novels and movies thus far. I was thinking like we don't have to do anything so in depth. And like I mentioned before. To me, the, the numbers, it's like a way to sort of like put a marker on something and like sure. kind of help encapsulate the conversation, but they're not really important to me. I think this isn't a show where we're going to like get hung up on the numbers and yeah, we would no, encourage no. you listeners to not to do the same. Um, maybe just like a quick source it. Would you source it in terms of is it worth a watch? I wouldn't force it. I would not force, force myself. I would not force myself to go back and start and rewatch everything. Um, I... I did not enjoy I did not enjoy this type of horror movie as much as I wish I would have. Like everything that it did, Sam Raimi and Tucker and Dale versus Evil have done better. And that's maybe if I would have had like the like Tommy's history, maybe if I would have had a couple of characters that had stuck around, which no characters are going to stick around in this franchise. I I can only imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I would have felt a little bit differently. I will certainly, you know, I would probably watch one if I saw it was on, on TV or, you know, like during Halloween or something like that. And it's, it's, you know, right. a Friday the 13th marathon or something. Maybe I'd turn one on and, and see if, see if I could be, uh, convinced otherwise, but I do not think I would source this one. For me, I say source it. Really? I, overall. Yeah. I mean, it's not a good movie, but, uh. I have I had fun with it, and I'm not like slasher. the The subgenre of slasher movie isn't a favorite of mine. I don't tend to prefer those movies anyway as horror films. So as slasher movies go, I think it's pretty good one. I think there's a lot of fun. I think it's worth like he's such a cultural phenomenon, Jason. Right? Like yeah. you were aware of him to a great degree, having never seen the movies, and I I think a lot of people are in that boat. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and I think it's worth like seeing what all the fuss is about. I mean, you're going to come away thinking, I don't understand why there's a fuss about it. I was going to say, you're going to come away from it going, (laughs) what's the fuss about? 
Yeah. But uh, if you're going to get a little bit of, if you're going to get fussing, uh, this is the place to get fussed. Um, it's the best movie in the franchise, I think. It's the one most worth revisiting or visiting for the first time, other than that first one, which like we, we talked about. Yeah. Um, it's just a very different kind of movie. Um, yeah. I think cool. it, it's a good Halloween pick. You know, if you're like doing like me, I've been watching horror movies or like playing horrific games like almost <laughs> every day, all month. Um, I think it deserves a spot there. It was it was a nice little spooky quick watch. I mean, it's only like 86 minutes long. Yeah, yeah. Like you could do a lot worse. You could do a lot worse than that. Yeah, I think I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I am not going to going to go source it. Um, uh, probably. I may change my mind. I may think about it a little bit more, but as of now, uh, my initial reaction after watching these two movies is Friday the 13th is not not necessarily for me, I don't think. I guess since we're just uh, instituting this now, just for a quick, uh, maybe to get a better sense of our, <laughs> what do I want to say, our critical sensibilities. Sure. Uh, what have we covered thus far that we have not really, so Mortal Kombat novel, I would not source it. Me neither. Yeah. Mortal Kombat, movie. Mortal Kombat movie 1995 would definitely source it. Biggest of sources. Double, yeah. Doubly sourced. Two sources up. Yeah. Uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation would not source it. You're going to have to force it. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a force <laughs> I did watch. like, I, I, I think at the end of our conversation, I did say like, it's worth a watch for a Mortal Kombat fan to like kind of, I don't know, see the shit show that it is. It's a very, so that is a recommendation very contingent upon having investment in Mortal Kombat. Right. But generally... Yeah, maybe not. Nah, maybe nah, not nah, source nah, that one. All right. So we uh this is my second source then. Yeah. Aside from the oh, I guess I mean we didn't really say this with the games, but definitely source Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this that speaking means, of speaking of Nightmare on Elm Street, that moves us into Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three Dream Warriors from February twenty second, nineteen eighty seven. Interesting time to drop a horror movie, February. But yeah, you know, <laughs> go for it. Uh, well, you know, Capcom has been releasing those Resident Evil remakes, I think, in like January. Yeah. Last couple years. So there's something we're missing there. I wasn't super impressed by the list of other movies out that weekend. Uh, but you what did. Uh, Platoon was number two. Nightmare on Elm okay. Street was number one. Uh, Mannequin mm-hmm. was number four and Hoosiers was number five. So, I mean, Platoon and Hoosiers are both really big. But. This is nothing like the the fucking all star lineup we had for Friday the 13th. The other thing I wanted to ask you, did you see who directed or who wrote this movie? Who did the screenplay? Well, I know Wes Craven was a co-writer. Yeah, but the guy who did the the full screenplay, Frank Darabont. That's right. Shawshank, the Green Mile, like Mm -hmm. also one of the what one of the showrunners for the walking dead when it was on i was gonna say he's dabbled in horror as well i think he did the mist as well he did do the mist which the man that's yeah one of the worst endings of a horror movie like one of the most traumatic endings of a horror movie ever um but ah, i saw i saw that and unlike friday the 13th this movie has a fucking stacked cast yeah holy shit You've got, I mean, Patricia Arquette, this is her first film, I think. I believe so. Which I, I want to say Johnny Depp in the, in the first movie. Well, was it was his, his first, first role. It was his not, first role. Yeah. Right. They wanted to get Renona Ryder. Or Renona Ryder wanted to be Patricia Arquette's character. But, I can see that. Yeah. Um, they, they shot her down. They thought she was too young. 
But Patricia Arquette, Larry Fishburne, which seeing his name as Larry as opposed to Lawrence made me yeah. incredibly happy. I don't know why. Uh, Jennifer Rubin, John Saxon, fucking John Saxon makes an appearance. Hell yes. But yeah, just just looking at both the cast and like the direction and the production, you have some pretty incredible names. Angelo Badalamenti in the house doing music. I mean, as a yeah. Dave Lynch fan, when I see that name, I come running. The the music in this movie was fucking awesome. Um, yeah. But yeah, so just going into this movie, knowing that all of these names are attached, mm-hmm. I was so incredibly excited. So I'm going to give the briefest of synopses. Synopses. Synopsis. Get it. Patricia Arquette, nightmares, put into a mental institution. New doctor shows up. This new doctor is from the other movies, is my assumption. I'm not sure, because I didn't look into it, because I'm not supposed Mm -hmm. to. But I assume she is Nancy. I like Nancy. The entire mental institution, or at least the ward where Patricia Arquette is, is getting treatment, is all for people with sleep disorders of different types. And they all have a shared nightmare or a shared series of nightmarish images all based around Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. And that's the big thing is Freddy is back. Freddy is going after these kids. And apparently these kids are the children of the people who burned him initially is what it said, mm-hmm. which, and they're the last. These are the last of the people supposedly that Freddy will be killing because their parents burned and killed Freddy. Right. And I guess for you coming into the franchise here, it's a good place to start because you're caught up on that and you also get the origin story on Freddy's conception, which that's oh, the first yeah, time we're the, about uh, that. What, what is it? The, the Bastard of a Hundred Rapists? Yeah. Um, which, that's, so not, I, that's not great. Well, if you're Roger Ebert, it might be. I like to read reviews of The Arrow, you know, after I watched yeah, sure. the film, and he didn't care for this one. I think it was, it gave it like a one and a half stars. But his... The final lines of his review were, The child killer, we learn, was conceived after his mother was held captive in a madhouse. He is therefore, and I quote, the bastard son of a hundred maniacs. Now that would make a great title for a movie. And I can't tell how tongue-in-cheek he's being there. He was but, a very, uh, he is very sassy. Yeah, he is. Like, I can't remember what movie it was, but he was like, this is not even scraping at the bottom of the cinematic barrel. This is in the cellar below the barrels. And I was like, damn bud he said this is the dirt underneath the floor of the cellar where the barrels are kept i was like man all right get it yeah the bastard the bastard son of a hundred maniacs is that's a very very good line i could see rob zombie making that movie yeah i don't i could see that the grindhouse yeah i could definitely see that being a rob zombie film so uh we start off with an edgar Allan poe quote which I really liked about mm-hmm. sleep being sleep being little pieces of death. Oh, how I loathe them sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great way to start, I think. And then we go, we meet Patricia Arquette so fast. And the first thing I noticed, and please, please tell me if you saw this too. She has both coffee and a boom box next to her. <laughs> they pulled quite a bit out of this movie for the, uh, the NES game. Um, and I thought she had some Brie Larson energy or Brie Larson has some young Patricia Arquette energy. 
um, which I liked. Uh, Patricia Arquette falls asleep. I think she's good in this. Yeah. I think she's great. I really do. Um, Robert England actually came out and said that after working with her on, on this film, he knew she was going to be a, like a superstar. Like there was no yeah. question in any of their minds on set who was walking away from this movie and going to be a star. And it was going to be Patricia Arquette. Um, there's a scene we'll, we'll get to it near the end but uh i found it actually affecting and it's her performance yeah yeah but we're not there yet we're at uh knife faucet into mistaken suicide scene yes yes uh but even even before that right she's in the house she goes into the dream house well yeah right 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 which this this is where this movie does things so much better than i thought friday the 13th did when the little when they walk into the house she chases the little girl on the tricycle into the house, and the little girl says, this is where he takes us. And it's not, this is where he takes us, as in, like, this is the place where we are taken to. Instead, it sounds like, this is when you're about to be taken by him. Like, it is such yeah. a creepy line by this little girl on right. a tricycle, and it, uh, it's a single six-word six word short story right there. This is where he takes oh, us. Shit. I thought it was great. It caused tension. It caused me to wonder about how the dreams function and who this little girl is and if she matters. Like all of a sudden I am invested just with mm-hmm. that single line. This is where he takes us. I'm like, oh, so good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the the sink with the knife hands and then. Before this movie, was Freddy's M.O. to cause suicides? Is that how, like, the murders were presented? No, I can't think of anything that was... I can't think of that being a thing before this one. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to think back through all of the murders in the previous two movies. I mean, the second movie is someone becoming Freddy. Like, Freddy basically takes over their, his mind and causes him to commit murders in the real world. Interesting. I don't remember any like moment of self-harm, though. He is like harming those around him unintentionally. It's a really interesting concept for a horror film. Like, I, suicide is a, a whole topic that is one that I don't like to really, you know, like delve into or anything like that. But when it comes to mm-hmm. like a cinematic choice for someone like a dream monster or a killer, a monster in a monster movie to basically do things to people that make it look like they're doing it to themselves. So no one believes them when they, right. Like that's, that's affecting. Like it is. That's, that's a, that's some rough shit and it's, it's good writing. Like it's, it's a smart way to approach how it, like how the killer works and how the deaths are seen by like the public. Mm-hmm. It's just, man, I uh, agree. Yeah. It's, it's hard to appreciate that kind of thing at times, right? Because yeah. of the subject matter, just being so heavy and like being such a problem with potentially people, you know, in your personal life. Yeah. I, there will be, there'll be something much, something that very much hit me uh, later on in the film that we'll talk about in, in kind of a similar vein. Yeah. It, I mean, and it just really is unavoidable with a movie like this with horror films in general. I mean, at the end of the day, like even when you're not dealing with the specifics of these certain aspects of, of death, it's, it's all murder. It's all violence. It's all pain yeah. and suffering and torture. Um, and just different variations on that. 
So, I mean, it kind of goes without saying at no point in a conversation like the Jason conversation or Nightmare on Elm Street. It's not like reveling in these things when they happen in the real world. It's being in the reality of the film. Right. And appreciating the film for what it's trying to do and wondering whether or not that's a good choice. And I, I think in the reality that, of the film. I think that that may be what hit me about this film almost immediately in comparison to Jason. Jason or Friday the 13th is so primal mm-hmm. where there is some there is a level of like intellect to this movie. Yeah. That really struck me in a good way. I think the the word you're looking for, uh, maybe two two words, characters and story. Yeah, that you have it both has, of those in this both. movie, <laughs> and and we did not have that in the last one. And there's it's just great writing for a lot of the movie. Um, but anyway, so going back into back into it, we get to Patricia Arquette in the mental ward, the mental health ward effectively Mm -hmm. and we meet the new doctor who's showing up who specializes in nightmare or like uh collective nightmare scenarios and dream disorders uh my first thing i noticed her hair is fucking great man and she's got some next level like fran drescher energy going on that i'm very much here for you're talking about nancy yeah i am nancy's hair is who'd you get rogue Oh, yeah, from the white stripe in the hair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite X-Men, but uh, got some rogue energy for sure. There were some moments that were just so great in this introduction that I missed from the previous movie. Patricia, Arquette, Kristen is introduced to all of our characters really fast in a clever, concise way. Moral combat style. Mm -hmm. Let's get the character introduction and let's give a little bit of a breather in between them so that we're walking into this knowing what we're dealing with and you do you immediately get a sense of everyone's personality their relationship to one another the community they have in this um, and there definitely does seem to be a community it's great yeah i mean the whole the whole series of initial scenes is, is just very fluid one cut into the next like the knife hand faucet right into her holding the razor blade being found by her mother right into being in the psychiatric ward yeah just fluid cuts and it's it's what the series does so well with constantly when a character is nodding off. It's always so fluid because you never really know when that moment. I was going to say you never know when they're in dream or not. Just like the characters, yeah, and the, right? And the whole movie flows that way. It's very well done. Um, you meet uh, Philip. He's a sleepwalker, and he's also a puppeteer, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. You meet Kincaid. You meet mm-hmm. Joey, who doesn't talk, and then you meet uh, Will, who is a dungeon master and is, or sorry, wizard master. Wizard master, yes. Uh, and he is also in a wheelchair because of, he tried to jump, is kind of what they said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you meet uh, Taryn, who is a former addict, who is also struggling with sleep stuff. And you meet Larry Fishburne, Max. Max. The, uh, he's like an orderly, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, he's like the head ward. orderly. And he, and he's a great, he's got that, um, he's got the same energy he had in like Boys in the Hood where he's like that warm, strict, fatherly sort of presence. Yeah. Like he puts his foot down. He like 
he runs a tight ship, but also like, I mean, we see it later on when uh, like Jennifer wants to stay up and watch TV. Like he knows when to kind of allow a little bit of wiggle room. And he's also very, very comfortable with talking to both the doc, the other doctors, not Dr. Mills, because I hate her, but uh, Dr. Gordon and Nancy. And like, I think it was uh, Dr. Gordon's walking with him. And Max is like, I think I have a theory for why these sleep problems are the way they are. I think it's a chromosome thing, man. All those parents doing acid and stuff. And yeah. and uh, Neil, Dr. Gordon, Neil is like, well, if you ask Dr. Mills, it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's what's killing them. And Max just goes, man, that's what keeps you alive. And then turns a corner. <laughs> and I'm like, hell, yes, Larry. Get it, Larry. Yeah. So, yeah, you get to meet all these characters. You meet all of the the doctors neil gordon is the doctor who's kind of on the kids side he's been working with mm-hmm. these kids the whole time dr mills is i guess the uh the overseeing provider physician who's basically is is the one who gets in trouble if things go bad so she's super super strict about being by the book and she thinks that everything is a delusion caused by guilt and that's where again that's where it gets me where the other one didn't they get in uh they get in a group like group meeting and that's where you actually get to see the characters kind of interact together for the first time in like a group therapy meeting and right. i have this quote by phil who is the the sleepwalker and the puppeteer and it just tells you how much they care the writers care about this and he says well according to our kind hosts and we're and speaking to the the doctors our dreams are a group psychosis sort of a mellow mass hysteria the fact that we all dreamt about this guy before we ever met doesn't impress anybody. So we go in circles making minimal progress with maximum effort. There is good, no good dialogue. There's yeah. no reason for them to put that much work into it. And also the phrase mellow mass hysteria makes me very happy to speak out loud. Like it just feels good. It's a, mm, you know, it's mm-hmm, a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like cellar door or, uh, you yeah, know, right. Mellow mass hysteria. Yeah. They've, they've figured out something that, Friday the 13th rarely does, which is, yes, like ultimately it is like everyone is kind of just fodder for Freddy or Jason to, to murder. I mean, that's, that is what we're here for to see that, right? When yeah. we really like strip away everything else, that is the, the engine running this, this vehicle. But um, the more that we feel invested in and care about that fodder, the more impactful the experience is going to be. And to actually have them talk about, I don't know weighty issues or like to have them talk about something of substance right as opposed to i mean in the counselors are always just like talking about getting laid mostly getting laid or playing card games that they're inventing in their cabin or about how they're abandoning the children so we are just right i mean i cared about every person in this ward yeah i did too every time there was every time there was a a death or something that i was genuinely affected i was i was genuinely Mm -hmm. emotionally hit yeah some more than others, for sure. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't think Jennifer is anybody's favorite, but didn't feel good to see her. Yeah. See her go. Though apparently, uh, we'll get into that in a second. So this, this not off in a dream world when we have the, uh, the first one, I guess, do we want to talk about that? The, the tricycle trailing blood into the room and melting. That was pretty great. That's a cool scene. That was pretty yeah, great. I like that. And this is, I mean, this is the moment right from this point. I don't know if you... I don't know if it made an impression upon you, but like watching it, like, yes, th- this is where we know that this is my kind of movie. 
Yeah. It's the giant Freddy snake with the awesome animatronic effects. Yeah. Like we're getting getting wild with it. We are horror movies like it's not about just the fear factor for me. It's they are a genre that lend themselves to being what do I want to say? To entering the void beyond our reality, to go to explore something surreal or not of this realm and to really take that opportunity to seize it, to try out really inventive, creative experiences and we have so many here. I really appreciate that. I also This is why this series shines for me. Yeah, I it wasn't just the Freddy snake, it was also the spotless like scene slip of Nancy falling back into her chair to enter Kristen's dream. Like a superhero just like pulled into dream world. Like Nancy's here, never fear. Yeah. And right before that, we see that Nancy is taking a medication, which I don't think we mentioned. The name of it is Hypnosil, which is very good. Mm-hmm. That's all I had to say about it. it we is. can move on. <laughs> Just, I, I, isn't that a Pokemon? Almost. Yeah, I was making a joke, but actually, yes. Yeah. <laughs> almost. Hypnosis in there. Um, yeah. So we, we have the first dream sequence, and we also have Nancy, after that first dream sequence, telling Kristen the whole thing. Bring the house mm-hmm. to Kristen and saying, this is where I was. I, I know what you're going through. I know Freddy. I know the whole thing. And basically telling her that this is real. So I, I feel kind of bad, actually. After the first group therapy where everybody gets very well, they get introduced in a very, very clear way. My notes become very sporadic because I am so invested. Like, I actually very much enjoyed what was happening. Um, Mm -hmm. A couple of things I do kind of want to talk about. Um, The first death we have is Philip, our our puppeteer. Mm -hmm. Dude, that one hurt me to watch. Freddy, like, pulls his veins out of his, or, like, his tendons out of his hands and feet and puppets him up to a tower to throw him off of the tower. Mm Mm-hmm. But cut like cuts his strings before he falls like some sort of weird, hyper disgusting Pinocchio symbolism. Yeah. Metaphor. It's brutal. And, it's absolutely. And it, just, it hurts because you're like, oh, someone stop. it! And so he crosses the paths with so many people throughout because he's the sleepwalker. They're not even batting an eye at it. Like, oh, there he goes again. And just like, no, somebody. Yeah. Realize what's happening here. Please, please. Yeah. Kincaid even says, have a nice walk. Yep. And I was like, oh, no, 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 it's a bad walk. And they all realize they're all at the window. They see him up on the tower about to jump and they're screaming like somebody help him, you know, and just it, it hits hard. And it hurts. Well, yeah. What doesn't hurt is the claymation when Freddy turns into the little puppet at the beginning of this. So good. Right? So good. That stop motion claymation was so oh, great. My God. That... So we talked about Jason trying to like Friday the 13th, trying to have fun with some of the deaths and and stuff like that. For Mm -hmm. me, this movie does all of that correctly. Yeah, I agree. Uh, The next death we have is is Jennifer, right? After Philip. Yeah, this is the one. This is the goofiest one for me, for sure. But it it is goofy. It is also where uh, apparently Freddy Krueger's like tagline came from. Apparently, like the whole welcome to primetime, bitch. That became a big Freddy quote phrase thing. Huh. I guess I didn't realize that. 
it was actually improved by Robert England huh. after he had done the whole, you know, it's it's time for your big break on television or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they finally just like, man, just just play with it. And he said, welcome to primetime, bitch. And so they cut the two scenes together or cut the two lines together in the same audio. So they just huh. ADR'd it. So we have, yeah, we have Jennifer who she watches a lot of TV. She's convinced that she's going to be a TV star someday. Yes, she's yes. Not one day on she will sofa. be on the TV. I mean, that's another aspect of, of this franchise that, uh, and this movie in particular, that adds a dimension to that murder, which is everything is derived from individual characters. It's contingent upon some hidden fear they have or some aspect of their personality. It's personalized in a way that a lot of other murders and slasher films are not. It's just, here's another person getting off by machete or axe. I was going to say, or, this is not two people getting, this is not three people all being decapitated by the, by the same machete swipe. Everything mm-hmm. that happens is personalized and makes you feel for that person. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this one was and pretty. I felt this it. one, this one was pretty silly. The robot Freddy arms come out of the TV, just like basically grab her, lift her up off the ground, and just like shove her like headfirst into the the TV. Just sparks are flying, explosion, and Freddy's head comes out the top. And uh-huh. he's got, like, there's a moment where he's like wearing the, the rabbit ears. Yes, it was so good. On top good. of his head like antennae. Yeah, but <laughs> so see, silly. And what's amazing to me at least is right before that, you have a very interesting emotional moment of Max walking in and talking to her. And she's like, please, I can't sleep tonight after Phil, after Philip died. And she's like, yeah. she burns herself with a cigarette to stay awake longer. And like. I'm just hurting for this this little girl or young woman, I guess, in this case, who is scared, traumatized Mm -hmm. and also has hopes and dreams. Mm -hmm. And then she just gets shoved into a television. Uh, The one thing I did have a problem with with that is when they find her and they say it's suicide. How the fuck? Like. There's nothing that she could have been standing on. She is being held off the ground by that TV. Like someone yeah. shoved her into that TV. It just that was the only time where I'm like, <sighs> that's yeah, that's that ain't what that is. <laughs> and so I don't know. Everybody is upset about this. Kincaid gets locked into the, the quiet room. And after she gets shoved in the TV, we almost go directly to her funeral and Neil mm-hmm. is there. Dr. Gordon is there and he's just like, I am failing these children. And Dr. Sims is just a, well, this is, this is just guilt. This is, you know, they're despite the fact that they are all having the same mass delusion. Like I understand that she is most like, like she is a woman of science and a woman of intellect, but Nancy even says it to Neil later on, like, listen to these kids to help them. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually put on there, like, mental health care is fucked. Like, this is watching these kids be basically ignored as they try to constantly talk about their problems and their fears and all of that stuff. Man, it sucked. Yeah, she's our disbelieving authority figure you always have to have one yeah but she has has so much power in this movie that it made it it made it harder for me to even find one semblance of being able to relate to her so neil basically backs nancy up 
Dr. Gordon and I think, is it Nancy Thompson? I think that's right. I, we're just going to say Neil and Nancy for Dr. Gordon mm-hmm. and Dr. Nancy. Uh, he backs her up and they have like a private group session with all the people that are experiencing the nightmares for like straight talk great only. Scene. Great scene. Yeah. And um, that's why they all go to sleep together, right? Where he hypnotizes them all. Yeah, it's just, it's such good pacing. I keep talking about how fluid it all is. And it's just, it's trying all these different sudden shifts in tone. You would, it's just amazing that it works. We've gone from like this goofy, kind of over the top, brutal murder scene. And now we're in this like slow hypnosis scene with like slow building tension, watching the, the metronome go back and forth, you know? And you don't even realize when, like once again, that they've all lapsed into the dream state. I didn't know it until the, until the, the nurse told Joey to follow her. And I was like, oh, right. damn it all to hell. Joey is Joey's I, fucked. I saw this movie at a very young age and I didn't recognize it at that moment. I didn't recognize it until she strips down and like gets on top of him on the bed and when they start kissing and then like she pulls away and like the tongue is, you know, the Freddy tongue. Yeah. Stretching from her head down into Joey's, like down his neck. And then like he everything t- just gets, falls away. The artist gets tied it's, up with the tongues and stuff. Uh, the 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 wonderful pun from Fred himself is feeling, tongue feeling tied? a little tongue tied. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That scene, like, oh my god, it blew my mind and scared the shit out of me as a kid. Also, I realized we talked. I don't. I think we talked about this in the the video game episode before this one. The head that bounced around that had shit coming out of its face. Those were tongues. Oh, that's what they were going for. Yeah, I was wondering what they were, but I guess they're tongues. Um. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, we do have boobies. We do have boobies. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I guess, I don't know. Good job, 80s, I guess. Just If if you're looking for that, and you're not going to get them in uh, Jason Lives, you, you can get them here. Yeah. There and then go. and then they also belong to Freddy Krueger. So, <laughs> enjoy that. Um, yeah. So, Joey gets kidnapped by Freddy. Like, Joey's soul his consciousness i guess is stuck in the dream world so joey's in a coma finally we have someone something we're talking about on this show where like we got someone get damseled and it's just for the first time it it's, it's a dude yeah it's a dude dudesled um when nancy is trying to talk to freddie like give him back and freddie cuts on his chest oh, come shit. and yeah. come and get him bitch and the cuts like go through the nipple and like I Man, know, it's, that it's was visceral. That it was hurts. brutal. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So all of this stuff happens. Joey, come to find out, Patricia Arquette, Kristen has a superpower. Basically, mm-hmm. she can pull people into her dreams. Yeah, we've seen this a little bit thus far with her pulling in Nancy. Yes. Um, she's a- attacked by the big Freddy boa constrictor yeah. snake. Which apparently they had to change because they thought it looked too phallic the first time. Oh. Yeah. It was just pink and fleshy. Wow. Like like Freddy's face. Oh, shit. And they're like, that's just a dick. Um, so they covered it in like <laughs> slime and shit. Uh, oh, man. So they all go to the dream world together after Joey is kidnapped and they discover that they have powers in the dreams. I what- love this scene. Yeah, it's so good. Who are you in your dreams? What can you do in your dreams? And Will, the guy in the wheelchair, stands up and says, my legs are strong and I am the wizard master. 
and he does like a little magic trick. Kincaid bends a chair, like a metal chair in half, yeah. and he's just super strong. And Patricia Arquette can do backflips. Good job. There's that. Yeah. <laughs> Not even a ninja jump kick, just the backflips. Man, I wanted a ninja, a ninja so- jump kick. I thought Joey was going to be our ninja. Yeah, maybe he could have been if he weren't uh, tongue-tied. Well, he does have his power, like when they, when they free him. That's true. He does yeah, have a he's superpower. Got the, uh, he's got like a banshee Alana scream. set in dogma style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He screams yeah. and everything just explodes. Yeah. That's true. I love um, this scene, just even the setup, when, when they finally realize they're in the dream state, and you get those like, Fluttering flutes, like the, the musical swells, yeah. like all the balls fly off the Newton's cradle and like float around the room, like those optical effects. And like, this is peak like 80s fantasy. There's something, I, I'm trying to find the word for it. It's like Goonies energy. Like Goonies isn't quite that kind of movie. It's not so fantasy, but it's got the energy of that. It's got the sense of wonder and awe on the part of the young protagonists as they wander into this other world or experience. And you feel that along with them and the music reinforces that. It's... It's Goonies energy. It's like Spielberg energy. You know, it's what Very. Stranger Things, when it was at its height, really tapped into, and yeah. especially in that first season. I love it. It's a little corny, but like it's endearing. And it yeah, works. I agree. So after we have our, our dream powers, we are moving into the end game of the movie. Yeah, that's true. This movie, it, it may seem like we're talking about it so much less than the Friday the 13th movie. It's because it's so fucking cohesive. Yeah, it just moves. It moves really, really well. It is just as long. I think it may be like one minute longer than Jason lives. But again, I found myself going, oh, God, I didn't take enough notes. I need to go back and write down my thoughts after the fact because I was so into it. I was having a good time. Um, So they they find their uh, their dream powers and they're going to go get Joey. Mm hmm. They also find out a lot about Freddy and what they need to do. Right. Neil finds the he spots the creepy nun hanging out in the abandoned wing. Yeah. Of the facility. And Neil talks to Nancy about they have to find Freddy's remains. Apparently. Got to find them bones. You got to find them bones. Uh, And you got to you got to bury them in uh, what hallowed ground. Yeah. And so Nancy says the uh neil is basically no one is going to know where these bones are and nancy says i know someone i know there's one person who knows and it's her dad played by the magnificent john saxon and so it becomes a race basically nancy and the kids are going after to save joey and to take down freddie in the dreams while neil and john saxon go after the bones Obviously, Dr. Sims is doing fuck all. And Max just is just... Stern. Off somewhere being stern. <laughs> yeah. Max is just trying to keep it all together. So when they enter the dream world and they have their powers, we lose Will first? I think, I think the first... We basically get a series of one-on-one battles as each dream warrior attempts to face Freddy on their own. Uh, is Taryn the first one? She's got... like It cuts to her. She's like dressed like that she's henchman a go- in a brawler. She's a goth punk assassin. Like, yeah, it's it's and a like bad blade knives and like the, the kind of like mohawk action. It's very cool. Yeah. Is it her very first? Cool. I wasn't sure if it was her or will. I, I think she might be the first one. I, I might be forgetting the order, this is but... this is the scene that made me step back. This scene hurt like hurt me. 
Um, it, it, there was a scene earlier where one of the orderlies was, was getting on Taryn, like, Hey, if you want some drugs, I'm your hookup. I'll be your dispensary. Yeah. Sort of thing. And I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. That sucks. But then for the film to kind of make fun of addiction the way it did, like Mm. when Freddie shows up and he's like, Hey Taryn, we don't have to fight. We're old friends. And then his fingers become needles or syringes. And he goes, let's get high and stabs her and injects the drugs and kills her. And not just in stabs her anywhere. They cut to, they zoom in on her arms where all of the, uh, where all like the track marks are like these animated, like little sucking orifices, like puckering their lips. Yeah. Like kind of going back to the whole, like the weird conversation about suicide. Addiction is one of my things that I have a, a, a trouble with. Like I have a very addictive personality. I've, I've, therapy and addiction help and stuff like that in the past um and seeing it on screen kind of portrayed as a bit mm-hmm. one i i realized that this is the 1980s like it, the same thing happened with the the suicide talk and, and stuff like that like there's there is a disconnect especially in you know that time about how mental health is health where now we see all of these things as health issues, as opposed to back then, it's like, you're just crazy. I guess we have to sedate you or, you know, mm-hmm. pump you full of drugs or, or whatever. Um, but seeing that kind of happen to a character that I also was starting to like a lot more, like initially she was very abrasive and like the kind of chain smoking, uh, well, you know what? Fuck you guys. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do sort of character. And normally that's not my style. But yeah. as it keeps going, she's the first person who says she's in. Or well, I think she's the first person who says she's in on rescuing Joey. Like, mm-hmm. she is very much, she becomes a pretty emotionally invested character. And I became emotionally invested in her. It could also be because, you know, I have my own, you know, not exact same thing, same mental, you know, connection as she does. But that just, I mean, I, I get it, especially when you look at like the, the kind of puppet string work and shoving a girl into a TV and making fun of the kid that can't walk, which happens yep. immediately after Terrence. Like, mm-hmm. I, I understand what they were going for, but that scene, I had to pause it for a second and walk away. And be like, and think about the fact that I understand when this was made. Like, you know, how you have to take a step back. You have to remove yourself from when something was made, despite how it was made. Separating the artist from the art, or separating, in this case, the time and the place and the the kind of zeitgeist from what has been done. Um, Sure. And then once I got back and sat down, I was I was in. I was, you know, hardcore. But yeah, it's um. It's really almost inevitable, given the character of Freddy, where his whole stick is like to pull out some aspect of the character and ridicule them for it, right? Right. And it's maybe all in good fun if it's just like, oh, I'm, as I kill you, I'm making a, a comment about like how you were trying to get laid or whatever. It's like, now don't you want me now? Like, I'm no longer, you know, the girl you're pining for. I'm actually Freddy and I'm about to knife you up. But then, like, as soon as you start trying to, 
have more developed, well-rounded characters with genuine trauma that they're dealing with. Now that's a recipe for disaster because you have that same character of Freddy that's going to do his typical thing, but you're dealing with weightier issues that don't lend themselves or shouldn't be joked about with the same levity, right? Right. It just it gets into a lot of bad taste humor. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, and I, you know, once I walked away and once I thought about it, I realized that it, it, it didn't feel like, yes, it, it was bad. It was humor and bad taste, I guess. But when I came back, I was able to separate it well enough and be like, this is the, this is a character of an absolute, this is the bastard son of a hundred maniacs. Like mm-hmm. they wrote it this way for a reason. He is a bad character. And in doing what he yeah. is doing, the way he's doing it, he is continuing to be a bad character. And I guess it was just so surprising after Friday the 13th because there's no character driven anything. Jason just kills people. There is he is an yeah. equal opportunity bad guy. <laughs> right. Where in this case, Freddy takes joy in causing fear, grief, harm, and death. And maybe that just initially made me more uncomfortable. It's a good point. Jason, at no point do you get any sense of like any desire on his part to even, it's almost like a a virus. Like, why does he do what he does? He's just programmed to do it. Yeah. He just, this is what I do. He's a force of nature. He's not a a bad guy. He's a force of nature. Like. Freddy revels in this. Yeah. He's he's exacting revenge and he's loving every second of it. He plays with his prey. So we talked about how it didn't make sense at any number of opportunities that Jason had to just crush somebody's head or just decapitate them whatever why is he just like punching them around why is he like dicking around it doesn't make sense for him to do that for freddy it always does yeah when he decides to maybe play around a little bit more maybe like let them get the you know like run a little bit farther before he chases them down lets them get down the steps before he pounces you know it feels derived of his character like yes this is something that he would just maybe decide to do in the moment like let's just kind of let this linger let's play this out a little bit longer I think there's also a part of me who's like, I've done group therapy before. I've, I've, you know, I've dealt with, I've talked with people who have substance problems or sleep issues or, you know, really horrible anxiety or depression or, or, you know, stuff like that. And so seeing these characters, it made the movie a little more real, I guess. Mm -hmm. And when you see a movie like this and suddenly it seems more real, you're like, this movie is not meant to be real at all. Like, you're not quite supposed the opposite. to. Yeah, quite the opposite. In fact. Dream world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that was um, that was a very interesting series of emotions for me to actually have from a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, especially after I watched Friday the 13th and almost felt nothing, mm-hmm. which I guess goes to say, you know how either clever the writing is or how invested I was in the story and characters. Um, after Taryn, RIP, uh, Will gets taken out hard. Summons up magic. Oh, yeah. Freddy's trying to kill him with a fucking Ben-Hur style chariot wheelchair with like spikes yeah. on the wheels and stuff. Mm-hmm. Again, like the ableist mocking sort of thing. Like yeah. he, Freddy even says, when you're out of here, you're going to be back in the saddle again. And I'm just like, whoo, Frederick. Man, it's, it's rough because like you don't you don't want to play that for laughs, but also it is a character like 
he's bound to this chair. He he hates being handicapped. Yes. Like he longs he longs to his dream, his power more so than even the wizard power is being able to walk. Yeah. It's the first thing that the first thing he said his power was he I have strong legs again. So it would make sense that part of his trauma or part of his nightmare, the manifestation of his dread would be in the form of the chair. Oh yeah, the, bound to it once by again. By no means do I think any of these attacks by Freddy are are done for a bit. Like even Taryn's addiction thing, like we talked about her having substance abuse problems three or four times earlier in the film. Um, these later ones especially really hit home for how personal Freddy gets with his kills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it. I mean, you you nailed it. It's, you have to keep in mind that, and I don't think the film is trying to play it for laughs. But he he makes he makes one liners. He makes puns. He kind of like he plays it for laughs, for his laughs. Yes, and so it's a matter of like distinguishing between what the film is trying to communicate and what Freddy Krueger is doing as a character, right? Right. And it, it, the it, they are in that danger zone in a number of scenes. Yeah, they're walking like a very tight rope there yeah very fine line yeah but i think ultimately they, they managed to pull it off and like for me i mean it's interesting hearing from your perspective and i think different viewers will di- i mean some people will be turned off in the first five minutes yeah to even just have some like to just even have some of these topics come up right it's just too triggering or too traumatic so it's um they're they're going for it they're trying a, a lot of uh very tough to pull off subject matter throughout yeah. the film. Um. After Will, we get Joey back. And and then we move into what is actually the end game. Uh, Freddy's bones are apparently in a junkyard. No, um, an auto salvage place. Mm-hmm. In the trunk of, a, of an olds, I think is what John Saxon says. Yeah. Um, I did note that Neil, uh, I like a guy who brings a holy water flask to a party. <laughs> he makes sure to fill up his flask with holy water before they even get there. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. The, the end worked for me. There was one, one part of it didn't, and it was the fact that... So I loved the sequence in the dreams of Freddy being able to kind of fool Nancy a little bit and, yeah. and, and all of that. How was he able to manifest in the real world? So basically, right. I mean, so we have that final trio. They kind of go into the, through that industrial door into this like red lit room. It's a cool, cool scene, right? Yeah, it's a very cool scene. To face Freddy finally. And while the, our other two characters are in that auto salvage junkyard, we have the bones kind of form a skeleton that they have to fend off. Yeah. And, right? and, and, and John Saxon even to? says, it is you. And the skeleton nods and then kills him. Yeah. And in a movie that generally I really like the effects, the practical effects, like the claymation as well, like a lot of this stuff looks really good. I had a blast with the visual effects in this film. It's a really good time. Yeah. Um, this, this isn't one of them. Yeah. It, this, this is bad. This, <laughs> this looks bad. Look, I was, I was suspending a lot of disbelief. All right. Like, I was happy to do so. I mean, I, I was invested in the movie. I don't, and I'm, I'm here for the ride. I'm having fun. But like, just looking at it, like trying to be a little objective in this scene. Like, I think that a lot of the effects are are very well done. This one looks pretty bad, even for a movie from 1987. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. agree. 
It it did remind me of the skeletons from uh, uh I keep mentioning Clash of the Titans, so I'm just gonna do it again. Um it reminds me of of like the night what is that, late sixties? Early seventies. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, see I haven't watched Army of Darkness in a while. It it had that kind of energy yes, and yes. now I'm like curious. Yeah. I want to revisit it like who did it better? I think Army of Darkness is a couple years later. I want well, to say it's like Army of Darkness also 90, allows 91. their skeletons to like play like xylophone with their ribs and stuff. Like it's <laughs> that yeah. was obviously played as a bit where this like Freddy comes back and murders a dude and then dips out. Like, uh... mm-hmm. but to answer your question, why that skeleton is able to just jump up and and run around and and fight. I I don't know. Like it isn't the first time we've seen that. So I was saying before, like the second movie is all about right, Freddy manifesting in the real world by taking like, over someone else, conduit. right? Yeah, yeah. But like, there is a lot of that. Even in the first movie, the whole thing is like Nancy's plan is basically to to pull Freddy. She there's a scene where she accidentally grabs his hat and pulls it back into the real world, and then from there it's a plan to like try and pull his whole being out into the real world, and then like do a almost like a home alone style series of booby traps like wait you know, really? it's, it's fun yeah okay there, well, yeah there's a little bit of that <laughs> okay you, you gotta watch it it's, it's i was it's gonna say we'll, we'll we'll be getting to that in a second um gotta source it uh, yeah spoiler spoiler alert source it yeah source th- it this is a source but, it for, um, for me too um yeah so it, it, there's always i don't know maybe we could like get real pretentious with it like oh it's it's commenting on um how things in, in the dream world are often like you know composed of our real world experiences and is there really so much of a defining line between you know what the, is the real and what and is subconscious what is dream sure blah blah blah, blah. Uh, i don't know it's just sometimes they're just trying to make a scene they, work and, and i was gonna say they had to figure out a way to kill off john saxon so they'd use him as a ghost to kill nancy right so after he dies he shows up as a and it's this is great because it's so a good. couple of scenes in this movie they're kind of schmaltzy they're like they're a little too saccharine right yeah and it always manages to make it work because usually it pivots immediately to like, say it's like the scene when they're discovering their, their dream powers for the first time. Like I said, I think it's, I think it's a little corny. It's earnest, so yeah. I'm accepting of it, but it is a little corny. But then we cut from that to like the, just the brutal like lashed by tongues to the bed over the, the sea of fire uh, or just like a brutal death, you know? And so it's constantly like, oh, reminding you that, yeah, you know, this is still like a brutal, horrific story and world and so you don't dwell on the, the corniness of it all but like that effect of like the dad coming in and like i just had to see you one more time before i, I cross over for good and nancy like giving him a hug and it's like if we if we didn't have the next scene of like it actually being freddie like if that were the ending it would be too much right it's yeah but in, but instead freddie shows up and he's like now you die and yeah Right into the but side. I mean, you can see a, a world where, like, that that is the ending. Some movies would have done that, like, left it there. Um, like, yeah, this this is very, very well done. I, I liked it a lot. Well, yeah, so because you've seen it elsewhere and you can believe that they might do it, especially since this is Nancy coming back, like, oh, maybe they want to give her, like, a happy ending, like, to have the original heroine come back and have a moment I of triumph. God, I wanted that And then just, no, no. They steal that away quick. Yeah. <laughs> Brutally. I, I wanted that to happen. Gut. And again, that that is a big that's a big difference. I did not care who made it through Friday the Thirteenth. That mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. I, there were some surprises on like writers' choices. I thought, but in this one, I was genuinely upset when a few people died. Like, yeah, I, they, I didn't want to see. It hurts to see Nancy go. Yeah, yeah, that one hurt. It hurts more because 
so this is the the scene I was, I kind of alluded to before. Patricia Arquette. Oh my God! When she's cradling, so Nancy basically like jumps back up one final time to like fend Freddie off and save uh, Kristen. Yeah. Save Kristen. Meanwhile, like they're finally like um, sprinkling the whole holy water over Freddie's bones. Neil so is finally like, able to to holify them. Yeah, so he's like kind of evaporating out of existence at the same time simultaneously, and then just that final scene of like Kristen holding Nancy, her sobbing, "I'm going to dream you into a beautiful dream forever and ever." Oh my god! Yeah, it, it got me. I mean, it wasn't the first time I've seen this movie. It had, it had been a long time, but uh, it got me watching this again. That's a very good line. And when that happened, so that the end, Freddie's gone. Freddie gets burned up by by Neil. Uh, Nancy, For now. Yeah, no kidding. Question mark. Um, Nancy dies, and Neil. The the movie ends with Neil going to sleep in his bed. Next to the model of Freddie's house, or Nancy's house, the model of Nancy's house and Nancy's Polynesian dream doll next to his bed. And the movie ends with one of the lights in the house turning on. Now, I have a question. Freddie's back. I was going to ask, do you think that's Freddie or do you think it's Nancy? Oh. Interesting. Tell me more. So, uh... So Kristen said she's going to dream Nancy into a beautiful place forever and ever. Yeah. So what if she sends Nancy home free of Freddy? And now Nancy is protecting their dreams. I can't imagine her room would be the place where she would. That, that's not the beautiful dream. Well, I mean, like, <laughs> but I mean, like knowing knowing that Freddy yeah. is gone yeah. and she gets this beautiful dream. But Nancy is attached to this house now or seemingly attached to this house now in the same way that Freddy was to protect their dreams instead of hurt them through them. I never considered that angle because it's just, it's such a typical horror movie trope where like that very last scene is the teaser for like, they're not actually dead. They're coming back, you know? And I'm so like ready to just receive that even as the camera's panning over, like, okay, what is the hint that Freddy's coming back? What is it? How is it, what is it going to look like? And then the light clicks on. It's that badass song by Dawkin dream warriors <laughs> yeah Dawkins or uh, alice cooper what are we thinking this is a i think this is a situation where uh jason has it i think i'd rather have the alice cooper blaring i don't know man that dream warriors track was pretty lit that was good um but yeah i mean i was also expecting freddie to not be dead but i wanted to give the power to nancy and Kristen. like it felt like nancy deserved that like she was in and out of dreams and the real world more than Freddie was like she seemed to have more power as a single person than Freddie did because Freddie got all of his power from what the souls of children I think is what he says at one point when he rips off his shirt and it's just like mouths and baby heads coming out of his oh, chest we and didn't stomach. talk about that right it's got that like total recall like quato yeah yeah energy um, oh my god and so that I, I really wanted to ask I wanted to ask you two questions in regards to this movie before we close up. One, did you think it was Freddie or Nancy? Answered that one. Okay. Uh, the other one is a lot of the characters in this movie end up being sedated by like the, the orderlies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they react so strangely to it. Like, have you ever been sedated? I've been sedated. Normally it's, 
okay, we're going to go ahead and sedate you now and count backwards from 10. And I'm like, 10, nine. Oh, it's eight hours later. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, instead, Kristen's walking in the choir room after being just like pumped full of all of these sedatives and she's like rhyming to herself. It It's like she's tripping on Robotussin as opposed to being chock full of sedatives. It was, it was, I enjoyed watching it. It was an interesting choice, but I just, I kept thinking like, they're not sedated. <laughs> like, Hypnosil. Hypnosil. And the only other thing we didn't really talk about is right between these final two scenes we do have the nancy funeral where we learn that the nun was in fact amanda krueger jason's mom yeah the jason's mom freddie's mom (laughs) you know what i mean Uh, i would love to have seen the crossover where jason's mom also comes up speaking of i mean we're talking about crossovers we didn't really see it here uh i didn't know this because uh Jason Goes to Hell was not a movie I had seen until my recent exploration of the series, but the very final scene in Jason Goes to Hell, when they finally kill Jason, is his mask on the ground lying there, and then Freddy's hand pops up out of the ground and grabs it and drags it down. Huh. Yeah, I was really surprised to see that. The seeds were planted there all those years ago. In that, in that absolute dog shit pile of film according to god we're not talking about that movie today but what it i didn't i expected a lot actually i didn't know what to expect and it was a movie you have those movies like as a kid that you can just remember being there on the blockbuster shelf they had such a visually arresting vhs cover right that maybe like scared you you're just your mind your imagination is going crazy you're not allowed to rent that movie you can only imagine what it is but it scares you and the the Jason goes to hell mask with like the snake creature, like, you know, curling through it Yeah. with the flames. Like, Oh, I could visualize that cover. So all these years, I imagined it was a movie about Jason being in hell. And I thought maybe it gets like really crazy. Maybe it's like Hellraiser two kind of vibes or something. Maybe sure. it's fun. No, 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 we don't go to hell. <laughs> it sucks. It sucks. It's absolutely worst, worst movie in the franchise. Absolute <laughs> dog shit. Okay. Maybe someday we'll talk about it. So um, last week, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, we asked people to respond to us about who they would choose, Freddy v. Jason. Mm-hmm. We got um, some votes. And we it kind of went the way I expected. Me too. Uh, but for today, for these movies, right. I know who I have. I am Team Freddy. Mm-hmm. O- almost no question for me when it comes to this one. Like... There's there's not even like a momentary doubt that Nightmare on Elm Street was a much better movie than, than Friday the 13th. Yeah, I mean, I was I went in biased because a Nightmare on Elm Street one and three are two of my favorite horror films. I think they're both yeah, brilliant. I, I think they're great. Yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street is definitely something I'm sourcing. Um, yeah, source it, source it all. I mean, I, even like the second one isn't isn't good. It's interesting, though. I think uh, a tepid source. Sure. As sort of the bridge between the first and third one uh, is not the worst thing you could do. But I, I really love this movie. I loved it when I was too young to see it. I loved it years later when I saw it, you know, multiple times as a teenager. I think it had been about that long. It's not one of that I've revisited anytime recently. I had a blast. Um, and yeah, I had a blast. It was, um, it was just as fun this time as it was before. I appreciated a lot about it. Um, yeah, I'm going to this is going to be back in rotation. It's got to be. Yeah. Mortal Kombat yeah, and... Now we're on Elm Street 3, but both, I would say source them both. If you only have time to source one, this is the movie. This wins it for me. Yeah. Freddy for me. 
so we are still going to be taking votes um mm-hmm. until you know what is that the 26th yeah a week from this air date so the next the following thursday 26 yes the 26th yep um as of now freddy is up by 10 Ooh. like okay jason i hope you have a hell of a performance in this this final yeah, movie that we're yeah, gonna no, cover no kidding because if not um, although right we, we're gonna be tallying like we just said your votes over this next week so reach out via discord our social media presence we'll be having some reminders some posts that you can vote via various means over the next week um but get them in before our our next uh that next thursday so we have time to tally them before we record and uh talk about our special closer for this month our bonus halloween episode the the true matchup the movie freddy versus jason if if freddy doesn't take jason out like with a couple of very fun clips about mommy issues or something like that I'll, I'll be a little upset. Oh yeah, there it just—he's ripe for he ridicule. He's ripe Jason. for ridicule. Um, but he doesn't dream. I, I can't imagine Jason dreams. I can't imagine he sleeps. So what happens then? Do Jason's dream of murdered sheep? Sorry, I was thinking <laughs> Philip K. Dick. And yeah, I'm with you. It's the unstoppable force and the immovable object. I'm I'm very excited to see how this is going to go. Um, yeah, I can't wait. So housekeeping housekeeping stuff good times um the house is looking rough it's splattered with blood the windows are blown out the door is yeah. off its hinges there's Kids one are under the beds there's one light on upstairs we're not sure if it's nancy or freddie who knows at this point um you can contact us in very fun ways uh our facebook page is pretty active source not found podcast comment share do all those fun internet things that people are wont to do yeah i'm saying the i'm saying the thing that uh, i've heard many times and almost never followed through on uh please rate and review the show yeah. it really does help <laughs> it really Everyone, does help they us. weren't lying they, <laughs> they were not they were not us. kidding about that one <laughs> i'm gonna go back through and just rate every show that i enjoy you 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 all were so right <laughs> i am so sorry for not taking I'm you sorry. seriously i know I, I didn't i didn't yeah <laughs> um <laughs> You can you can rate review us on all of your favorite podcatchers, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts is gone now, but YouTube Music has it, uh, Spotify, you name it, we're on there. Is that why we were pending for several months? I was curious about that too. <laughs> uh, okay, that explains that. Email us any of your favorite Jason or Freddie moments, any fun urban legends. Stuff like that at sourcenotfoundpod at gmail.com. Uh, we are on Patreon if you would like to support us in any sort of financial way. Uh, we will be starting up uh, Patreon-exclusive content come the beginning of the year, so get in there early. Get in there early, get in there now, and get on that shout-out tier. You can hold ranks with... Uh, you can hold, hold ranks? Court with the- yeah, hold court. Yeah. On the shout-out tier with Jacob Spindell and Susie Daggs. Friendship. We're also on Instagram, uh, Source Not Found Podcast. Um, yeah, guys, feel free to contact us and tell us what you want to see more of. Are there IPs that you would like for us to do? Are there things that you think we missed? Come at us. We love it. Yeah, love hearing from you. And then just a personal plug for me. Um, I stream on Twitch. Uh, you can find me under Lejunebug, L-E-J-E-U-N-E. B-U-G. 
Um, sometimes when we're doing games on the show, I end up streaming them there. So you can see, a, you can get a little sneak peek. But um, horror games for the rest of the month. So we're, we've done Fatal Frame, Silent Hill, currently doing Deadly Premonition. We're going to do some, some other weird, wacky titles uh, before the month closes out. Trying to do some uh, Ill Bleed and D2 on Dreamcast. Some deep cuts. That sounds incredible. Yeah. Finish it up with a little bit of Alan Wake. The uh, sequel's on the way. Drop it yeah. right before Halloween. So Yeah, that'll be awesome. Getting ready for that. So come on by. We'd love to see you. And as always, thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reaching out. And as always, make sure you check your toilet for Freddy Krueger and keep an eye out for any clowns in those white vans. Mm. You don't want that knife hand up in your butt.